Acts chapter 8, verses 4 through 8. So those who were scattered went on their way, preaching the word. Philip went down to a city of Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah to them. The crowds were all paying attention to what Philip said, as they listened and saw the signs he was performing. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed. And many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would open our, open our eyes to see, to read, to, our ears to hear, our hearts to receive, and Lord, our spirits to engage your Holy Spirit here this morning, to receive that which you have for us. We give you all the glory and all the praise and all the honor. Speak through me now this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So, you guys ever had a group of people that you just didn't like? Yep. Right? Yeah. No. Yeah. We were kind of joking when I, when I first moved here. I found out that there was a, a uh, kind of a competition between Belgrade and Bozeman. Or as, a, or as people say, Belgrade or Belghetto and Bozos. Right? But there's like these little, little rivalries, right? Like these different people that are difficult to love. Just because there's something in your mind that's already dividing you from this. I think about, you know, um, so I went to Baylor University in Texas, and Texas Tech was the worst. Oh, love it. They're, they're, I mean, their, their school is ugly, their city is ugly. The only thing they got going for was a great burrito shop. <laughs> you know, but there's a rivalry against Texas Tech and everyone else. And if you went to their school and you had a flag in your in your car or you had like logos or something on the opposing team in your on your car, they would key it. Or what they would do with the bus for the opposing team is that there's a tradition that they would take poop, human poop, put it into paper bags, roll it up, and throw it and explode it on the opposing team's bus. Oh wow. Covering that's it with human bad. poop. Oh that's there, is, there, is there people like that that you know of in your own life where there's like, man, there's just something. It's hard for me to love them. It's hard for me to love homosexuals. It's hard for me to love transgenders. It's hard for me to love filling your preferred political party of the opposing side. It's hard for me to love Non-Christians. Non-Christians. It's hard for me to love myself. Amen. It's hard for me to love prisoners, murderers, pedophiles. There's already something in the way in our minds. Right? We can, we can, it seems like all of us can think of one in our own lives that, man, if God called me to go reach out that kind of group of people, I'd be like, nope, I'm out. <laughs> no, God, that's too hard. You're, you're, not that, you're not that big. You're big, but you're not that big. To love them, but also to get me over my hate of hatred of them. Or my distrust of them. Or my disgust with them. Or my fear of them. I'm just afraid of them. Just afraid of what it would mean if I would actually give them the gospel. Like Jonah. 
He knew that God was calling him to go to Nineveh to proclaim the gospel that repent or God is going to destroy you, basically, is what he said. And he's like, no, God, I know that they're going to repent. I don't want them to because I want you to destroy them. So who is it that we wish that God would destroy so that we didn't have to actually share the gospel with them? Because here's, here's the thing, guys, this morning. God can save anyone. God can save anyone and transform their hearts. Even this one. So in our passage here today, we're kind of, we slowed down quite a bit. I was going to go through 13, but I was like, ooh, this is just real good. I started preparing, I was like, there's a lot in here. And there's a really big point in this one. And so I think I really just need to live in this one, just really settle in to here and say yes to God speaking here. So this morning we're going to, we're going to talk, just talk through this, this passage here today. So the first thing I want to go through is that the gospel goes to Philip. Oh, by the way, if you didn't get a handout, there's a, a, a thing of handouts. Does everyone want a hand? Grab a pile of them. <laughs> If you want a handout, we have a bunch of them right there. Just raise your hand and Gloria will come by and, and give you one of the handouts to fill out. We also do those extra folders if you want to catch up uh, with several of the uh, old older sermons in this series. Um, got one. So yeah, so raise your hand if you want a handout, but if not, that's totally fine. So the first thing, the first space there, the first blank, is the gospel goes by Philip. So Philip, let's talk about this guy. Who is Philip? Now, one of the disciples, one of the apostles, the one of the twelve of Jesus was named Philip. But this is not that Philip. So this is one of those following Jesus, probably throughout his earthly ministry. We don't know like since when, um, but probably because of being entrusted with like, one of the primary roles in the church. We think about the seven people who are in senior leadership to take care of thousands. This guy was known and trusted, and then entrusted with a primary role in the church. And this was early on, so he was probably following Jesus and the uh, disciples pretty early, early on. And they spent a good bit of time getting to know him. Um, was with Jesus um, a good part of his ministry, including his death and resurrection. So he was probably one of these 100, 120 that were with him in the upper room, that were there at the resurrection, after the resurrection, and at the ascension um, of Jesus Christ. He was one of these sec the seven deacons. So this is where we get to know our context of why we know that he's not that Philip, he's this Philip. <laughs> so he's one of the seven deacons with, with Stephen that we read about in Acts chapter 6. Raised up to steward the daily needs of the church. And these men were also known in, in Acts chapter 6, verse 3, as men of good reputation. They were full of the spirit and wisdom. So already, right off the bat, we got a description of them. Yeah. Just because of a general sense of all the seven that were raised up. These men were of good reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom. This is this guy. This is Philip. So as we get to know him a little later, he is both evangelist and deacon. So he fulfills his role as in the senior leadership of the church and the daily needs, but also 
God uses them for other things as well. One of the primary five roles of people that God gave us the church. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, preachers, and teachers, and shepherds. The five-fold ministry that he gives. He is a servant of the church. He's there to serve the church. He's there to teach the church, to help heal the church, to encourage the church, pray for the church, lead the church. God can use you to do many things in the church. He doesn't just use you for one thing. You're not just like, hey, I'm just the one that serves God. That's my call. I'm the one that vacuums. No. I'm the, I'm the vacuumer. <laughs> I'm not going to say what else I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, I'm not just building a plane. I'm not just an elder. I'm not just an attendant. I'm not just in kids. I'm not just in the band. I am this, yes. But I'm also this. Amen. For the good of the body to raise up. Amen. To encourage and uplift the body. What is your role in the church? What is your role? What is God saying to you? Hey, this is why I brought you here. This is my heart for why I placed in you my spirit to do this, to build up the church as well. So that everyone can enjoy you. And that you can enjoy everyone else. What could be your role in the church? What could it be? How could you be used by God to serve, to love, to teach, to lead? What is it that God has placed in you that says, I'm going to use that for the good of the church, for God's glory, for the joy set before us? I'm going to do this to bless God's people. And as we know later, this guy Philip would later end up being led by the Spirit to Gaza, the Gaza Strip to meet with the Ethiopian eunuch by some, by some water. And then, randomly and miraculously, he would be taken by the Spirit out of his sight and taken, and he would move to Caesarea Maritima, up on the northwest uh, coastline, where, where uh, Paul would be in prison for two years. And we know that eventually he would get married. It seems like we're, we kind of presume that he's kind of single right now. Um, and he gets married, and he has four daughters who turn into prophetesses that God uses and calls as four prophetesses which we'll talk about in a few years. By the time we get to it, by the time we get there. <laughs> all, the, all the church. So let's go back even just a little bit before. On that day, this was the day that Stephen was persecuted, which we read this last week, a severe persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all the apostles were scattered throughout the land of Judea and Samaria. Devout men carried Stephen mourning into the world. Saul, however, was ravaging the church. He, could en he would enter house after house, drag them off, and men and women off, and put them in prison. So those who were scattered went on the Magdalene. Why did you tell me you were going to do that? <laughs> <laughs> so they, they exploded. The gospel went everywhere. This was a fulfillment, like I said last week, of Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You'd be my witnesses in all of Ju all Jerusalem, Jerusalem and Judea and all Samaria and the ends of the earth. This was a fulfillment of that calling on the church. Philip ended up in a city of Samaria. Many manuscripts say the city of Samaria. So most likely, understanding the context here, is that he ended up in the city of Samaria, which we know 
from other from historical, you know, historical records that the most prominent city of Samaria was Sychar, where Jacob's well was and where the temple was. That's where you see in your handouts, you'll see where Jacob's well was, or is, still to this day, still there, and then the temple, which is also still there. And did you know that Samaritans still do Passover? They do the Passover sacrifice in their temple. Wow. Still today. If you go up and Google it, if you're okay with a lot of blood. But, yeah. Um, they still have the temple there. And there's still a, about a thousand Samaritans who follow the old Samaritan ways. And they still do the worship in the temple. And so this is most likely Sikhar. So, here's the coolest part. This, the gospel goes to... Samaria. The gospel goes to Samaria. The gospel goes to the people who everyone in Israel loathed and hated with a deep passion and discrimination. So that those people in your mind that you're like, I just can't love those, that was the Samaritans. That was the Samaritans to even the apostles. They were born of great Jews. They hated the Samaritans. Why? Why? Okay, you guys ready for nerdiness? Yeah. Nerdy stuff right here. Put on your nerdy cap. Ready? Nerdy cap. Right. Put on your nerdy cap. Here we go. Here's your lesson. After King Solomon, so King King Saul, bad King, King David, good King, King Solomon, good, good. So then he had two sons, and because of his unfaithfulness to the Lord. Both of his sons said, I want the kingdom. And so what they did is they split. One king, uh, Jeroboam, went and started, you know, basically took over Israel in the north. And then uh, Jeroboam, sorry, Rehoboam, took, took hold of the southern kingdom, of, and that became Judah. So for about 500 years, you had a divided kingdom of Israel in the north and Judah in the south. And so what happened is that Jeroboam in the north was like, well, we all worship Yahweh, and so, but I don't want them to go to Jerusalem because that's where my enemies live. That's where my brother people are. I don't want them to have to go down to, to Jerusalem to worship God because then he might take away my throne. So he's like, no, we're not going to worship Yahweh anymore. We're going to go worship Baal and Molech and, and Ashtoreth and Shira. We're going to set up all these idols and temples and high places everywhere all around Samaria, all around Israel. And they led all God's people away from worshiping Yahweh in Jerusalem. So the north became Samaria. Like I said, they turned away from Jerusalem to worship gods. But here's the cool thing about uh, Israel. They never, no never, not once, and not ever, did they have a good king. Every single king, even the worst of them, King Ahab, was in the north. You guys remember the, the priest of Baal versus Elijah and Ahab and his wife Jezebel? That was all the northern kingdom. Northern kingdom. Never had a good king. They were exiled in the 8th century BC by the Assyrians. The neo Assyrians came in and wiped them out, sent them into exile, but they left some there to work the land. But the, the rest of them they either murdered or took back to Assyria with them to be slaves in the land of Assyria. So according to Jewish tradition, those who were left intermingled with the Assyrians who, who stayed. So it was kind of this tainted bloodlines for them. 
Samaritanism today and, and uh, scripture today hold that there was a remnant, however, who did not bow their knee to the gods to worship Baal and Shira and the and, and uh, Molech. They kept worshiping Yahweh as much as they could. They were sneaking through them, but they would worship Yahweh. They say that a priest named Eli, under whom Samuel became an apprentice, and Samuel, if you remember, he's the one that recognized Saul as king, took the anointing away from him, and then went and recognized David and anointed him with oil. Right? So this is that Eli, and so his student would become Samuel. So they believe that Eli um, built another shrine or tabernacle in Shiloh where they believe it was still meant, they, they believe it was still meant to be at Mount Gerizim. And so um, they believe that there were, you know, that someone else, like because they were rebellious, they were arrogant, they went down and started their own temple down south before the kings came into in play. But the true place of worship was Mount Gerizim, where they believe that Shiloh, I'm sorry, where, where all this stuff happened in the, in the early Old Testament. Um, and so this Mount Gerizim, that they believe is the mount of God, that the temple is still on, that is the mountain, and Jacob's well is the well that Jesus met with this Samaritan woman next to, with Mount Gerizim in the background. And this is why we're fighting. This is why the dialogue between Jesus and the Samaritan woman. It's like, well, you Jews say that we should worship in Jerusalem, but we say that we're supposed to worship here. And Jesus is like, nah, bro. Bro.
preaching and teaching and sharing the gospel of the kingdom and spreading the goodness and the joy of the gospel. Here's my thought. We don't really know much about Philip. Maybe he was one of these people that came to faith in Jesus in Samaria. Because if you go to the word of the Samaritan woman, as I said, you know, many believe in Jesus because I hear the woman's testimony. But then others, you know, more even came to, to believe in Jesus after Jesus came and preached for two days. But then we hear Jesus' heart when he's leaving this earth. He's like, hey guys, remember that place we went and we stayed for a couple days with the Samaritan woman and all these, you know, right? Remember that? You're going to go back there. You are going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and in all of Samaria. He singled them out, specifically. He said, get over it. Get over it. Get over your prejudice. Get over your judgment. Get over your racism. Get over your garbage. Stop hating who you call an enemy. I already went and loved them. I prepared the ground. I prepared the way for grace, for unity, for love, for joy. Right? Our Bible says right here, verse, or chapter, uh, chapter 8, verse 8. So there was great joy in that city. I want to bring joy to who you think is an enemy. I want to bring joy to them. I want to bring, bring flourishing to them. So now let's look at Philip in Samaria. So they're scattered by the, by the execution of Stephen. And this was by no way, by no means, were the, the, the disciples running away. They were not running away from their problems. Christians don't run away from their problems. And persecution and execution, martyrdom or threats or oppression. We don't run away. He's not hiding. The church sees this as an opportunity to use their time. Because they're now seeing, wow, I've got time. I'm still alive. Amen. If you're not dead, God's not done. God's not God's done. done. Amen. Thank they you, Jesus. Modern verse or sayings, phrases. If you're not dead, God's not done. You've never had a, like a, almost like a close to death experience? Yes. Yeah, right? Have you ever seen their, their life flash before their eyes? Right? What's that? Number one, number one phrase I heard from the military and army folks is that they say that there's no such thing as an atheist in a foxhole. Oh, wow. When you're faced with your mortality, you start to value your life a little bit differently. Oh, yeah. You start to value your time. And what you do with it. I would like to say that there's no such thing as an atheist at a funeral. Funerals are amazing opportunities to share the gospel. Because everyone comes to realize, oh, my time's limited. I've been thinking about that the older I get. I'm 40 now, and I'm like, wow, I'm over the hill. I'm walking the ridge, right. looking back on, on the last four years of my life, and then now looking forward and realizing they're going to be about the same. 
I'm right in the middle of my life. Unless I die tomorrow, or uh, get shot, or you know, get in a car accident, or whatever. Lord forbid. Yeah. Or you know, if I live another 40, 50, 60 years, that'd be awesome. But no, 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 no. No, you don't. You really don't. But they saw. Now that they were, were realizing, okay, these people are willing to kill us. Mm-hmm. What do I do with my time? Gosh, we haven't even come close to fulfilling Jesus' commandment to us. Or Jesus' instruction to go. We haven't gone. Let's go. Let's go now. They have a sense of urgency to take the faith and run with it. The church got a sense of that. And needed to, felt they needed to take the gospel and with every breath they have left on this earth to proclaim the goodness of Jesus Christ. The crowds were paying attention to Mr. Philip. Why? Well, why would they pay attention to a Jew? Well, we need a couple different possibilities. Number one, perhaps he was a Samaritan. Who came to faith in Jesus at Samaria, and he came back to his own city, his own town, maybe. But there's also another reason, whether he was a Jew or a Samaritan, whichever, that was that Jesus was there and he preached as well um, to the Samaritans, and so they had already accepted Jesus, and so they were listening to someone who came in his name. Either way, they listened and saw signs. They saw miracles. They saw signs and wonders as have been explained to us throughout this our passage so far, throughout Acts so far. So they listened to him. Because here's the thing, the gospel of the kingdom of heaven is both spoken gospel. So they listened to the gospel and they saw the gospel. They saw the signs and the wonders. They saw the kingdom of heaven in their midst. They saw people being healed. They saw people being delivered. What? What did they they say? Unclean spirits came out of those who were oppressed, crying out with a loud voice. The paralyzed and the lame were healed. Can I say right now? This is going on right now, today. This morning, there are people being healed. Physically, emotionally, people manifesting and being delivered of demons. You know the uh, the great Asbury the Asbury revival that just happened back in what, February for a couple weeks. Apparently, I didn't touch on this out this week. So they have a prayer team in the back, and so instead of having an altar call in the front, they would just push people to you know they would direct people to go to the back to this whole prayer team that was back there. And they said that seventy percent of the people who went back to give their life to Jesus. 70% of people went back to get prayer, manifested a demon, and were delivered. I remember watching a video of a girl like, having convulsions in the center aisle. She didn't know to have epilepsy. But then they took her out to the aisle and laid her down, and they were praying over her, and she manifested a demon, and it came out. Uh-huh. And she was delivered. It wasn't epilepsy. It manifested as epilepsy. Sure. 
Things, uh, there's a lot, but that's another conversation, but a lot of things that we call like a medical diagnosis are actually demons. But that's another conversation for another time. <laughs> that's a longer conversation. But this, is ha- this was happening in front of their eyes. They got to see it. They got to experience it. They got to hear it. They saw and heard the kingdom of heaven. And that brought great joy. Why? Not because, woo, demon, woo, lame, and paralyzed. No, why? Because they were healed. They were restored. They were brought to flourishing and joy. And everyone, people are healed and people are restored. People celebrate. Man, if, if one person needs to be healed here this morning, they've got something going on, please come, come up forward during our time of reflection and conversation and let us pray for you. And let us see God heal you. And then all of us can be like, woohoo! Did it again. Celebrate! We throw on some dance music. I don't know. We're about to stop with that. But... <laughs> Ish. <laughs> but great joy, celebration! Because of the work and the work of the kingdom of heaven are coming through just one person. I don't know. It just came on. Just one person. This wasn't a whole team. All the disciples ended up in ended up in, in this area. This was Philip. Here's the question I have for you. This guy wasn't an apostle. He was a disciple and a servant of the church. What can God do for you? What can God do through you? Because the gospel today goes by you. Not me. I'm part of you. Us. It goes through us. I'm not the paid professional to evangelize the world for you. It's you that God is calling. Because every member is a minister. Minister. Every single member of the Church of Jesus Christ, whether you have, you know, whether churches have an official membership role or not, if you go and you're a part of a church, you are a minister at that church. How does God want to use you to minister to the church? To love the church. To bless the church and be loved and blessed by the church. So the church builds itself up in love because of the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit on and among and in all of us and living through each one of us. It starts with prayer and the Holy Holy Spirit on your heart and in your mind. The first thing is to be in God's presence. To engage with Him. To let Him work in your life to be a non-anxious unhurried presence in this hectic and anxious over-medicated and over-counseled world. Don't be in a hurry. Don't be in a hurry. And if you need to get away from that, if you need to go and retrofit a van and travel the country so you can learn to not be hurried, Pray and seek opportunities 
to both share your faith, but also be compassionate. And so if the gospel goes by you, then where does the gospel go? Where does the gospel go to? If it's going through you. If the gospel is going by you, where is the gospel going to? How do we engage this culture with the gospel of Jesus Christ? And how do we learn what we don't know, areas where we can minister, areas that are blind spots to our perception and perspective of culture? How do we not, you know, I just talked about this this morning. I was like, this is a great conversation we're having around the, the front door. How do we not just go on the social media and, you know, just rave and, and, you know, just rage and share reels and share posts that are against the other opposing political side? Or against the values of the other political side? Or against people? Against agendas? Against people? Because what does Ephesians 6 say? We do not war, war or wrestle against flesh and blood. You don't war against transgenderism or transgenders or people involved in the LGBTQ community. You don't war against Republicans or Democrats. You don't war against libertarians. You don't war against people. If a person represents an agenda or a side, you don't wrestle against that person. We wrestle against the enemy in the unseen realms. The principalities and the powers and the authorities in the unseen realms. So what is the best way to see God transform people and cultures and agendas? To invite them to experience the power and the glory and the goodness and the joy of the gospel. To enjoy the kingdom of our goal should be to make the church so epic and awesome that people from all around want to be a part of it. Because why? Because we're joyful. We're not hurry. We're not anxious. We're at peace. We're celebrating. We're joyful. We're happy. Even in the midst of trials, we suffer differently than the world. When difficulties and hardships and financial difficulties come in our lives, we don't deal with it the same way that everyone else does who has no hope. We don't mourn like the rest of the world who has no hope. And sometimes it's difficult, though. I think we're in a difficult situation in that you know, we can kind of hear God, you know, Jesus' words. It's, a prophet is not welcome in his own hometown. It's not simply that we're not received in, in places, but also not given to engage where our comfort zone is. Why? Because it's where our friendships are, and we don't really want to rock the boat. We don't want to rock the boat at work because we want to keep our job. We don't want to rock the boat with our family because what, is it going to be, what would it be like if our family completely just ignored us and cut us out of their lives? It's also difficult for a, prophet, for a prophet to prophesy in his own hometown where he is comfortable and he calls home. Speaking truth, preaching a message that is contradictory to the culture has always had a way of causing difficulty 
and relationships with those closest to, closest to them. This last, uh, this last weekend, well, we hosted a, a gathering of the Big Sky Area churches from all over Montana. And this you know, talks about you know, this, this next generation. One of the things that, the guy, that our, our speaker, Chris uh, Laurie, said, this, this generation coming up doesn't want flashy megachurches. They don't want that style. They want small, intentional, and authentic discipleship. One-on-one, -on -one, small groups. They want to be in places where they're known, where they're seen, where they're heard. They don't want to disappear. So my question to us as we, as we think and seek, to try to seek to engage the next generation is, how can you disciple someone? How can you say, okay, who, who do I have in my sphere that I can disciple? Whether I agree with their mentality or not. Where's someone that is even not a person who's a believer? Because that's what God wants us to be, is to disciple the unbeliever so that why? So that they can become a believer. We don't just like cold, you know, display the gospel message and then hope that they receive Jesus. We walk with them. Jesus walked with people. He talked with people. He was all about the long name when it came to discipleship and evangelism. He knew it took a while to build trust. And then for people to, in order for people to listen to the gospel. How can you cultivate a relationship? You know, even, and especially, maybe an already existing one. Family member, co-worker, friend. Neighbor. Random you know, barista of the coffee shop. Neighbor. How can we take and give ownership of the church and church culture to the next generation? Right. We need to be willing and able to embrace the difficult. Embrace and be willing to have the difficult conversations that are uncomfortable for us. Don't just try to appease it or to make it go away. Engage the process. Engage the process with someone that you disagree with. Engage that person at the beginning. He said, who do you hate? I hate Bill and Blank. Or it would be difficult for me to share the gospel of Jesus or to have a friendship with Phil in the blank. Do that on purpose. Go and engage the person that you fill in the blank with. Disciple the lost. We need to realize that many or most people these days have no clue about Jesus or our faith. No one's taught it anymore. Their parents aren't telling them. In fact, most people like Christianity is brainwashing. Brainwashing their kids in the Christian school or raising them in the church. And so most people don't are not growing up these days with a knowledge of who Jesus is. Or even why they have a cross on our building. I don't think we have a cross on the building actually. But why do they have crosses? Yeah, right here. Right? Why do we have crosses in the church? What is the cross? Who is Jesus? What is our faith? I don't know. I just know that they like to yell really loudly on those videos on Fox News. Because unfortunately, we've kind of been cast into an unfortunate mold as, Christian, as Christians. We've been associated with a branch of society that I don't even like a lot of times. But we cannot have, the, on the other side as well, 
we cannot have this kind of like hopeless escapism. I am just so glad for when Jesus is going to come back and restart and kill everyone and just bring us back to heaven. I'm just so excited for Jesus to come back. Amen. I'm excited for Jesus to come back. But it's more, that statement is usually said out of frustration at the darkness of the culture versus the hope of the resurrection. I'm excited for Jesus to come back and restore all things. But to believe that there is no hope for or in our society is actually anti-gospel. There's a lot more hope than you think in our world. Why? Because you're still here to give hope. Amen. You're still here to experience the hope through Jesus Christ. What are the things, think about these things, you know, in your mind, think about what are the things that divide us so that I can figure out if or how I can have a relationship with you to know how to navigate this relationship, but I'm, I'm willing to engage that difficult process. And think about this, this is something that the Lord spoke to me uh, this weekend, that my just opinions, my opinions don't matter in light of the mission that Christ has given us. Think about this question. This one kind of wrecked me this weekend. Not that the Lord would come too soon, but if the Lord came too soon, who is it that you love that won't make it? Houston, who would be left out of the kingdom for eternity? Oh, wow. Are you in relationship with God's people? Are you being discipled? Are you raising up a new disciple? Are you teaching the next generation? Are you in relationship with God's people and being discipled? Because evangelism, sharing our faith, starts with and comes out of the overflow of discipleship. When we are living in that joy, when we are experiencing that hope because of the relationship with other brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, and the church is being built up, and your faith is being built up, and you are growing in your relationship with Jesus Christ, and there's joy being experienced in there, and everyone's being built up in love, sharing your faith becomes natural. Like, this is so good! You've got to come and enjoy it with me. You've got to come. I always use the illustration, but I will say it again. And they changed their name. It's no longer University Burger. It's now Lowbrow Burgers. <laughs> Lowbrow Burgers in, in Bozeman. Love them. They're like the best burger ever in Bozeman. Hands down, the best burger. You're looking for lunch? Don't go there today because they're closed on Sundays. Good morrow. <laughs> Where's it at? It's over by the college. But... Here's the thing, like, I enjoy it, I love it, I love this creativity, I've got a relationship with Sean, the owner. And I, got, I love just to go in there and ask him questions and talk about the new menu and talk about his recipes and 
I just enjoy going there. I, love, I enjoy taking people there, especially newbies. And they're like, whoa, that's a menu. <laughs> I'm like, just trust up. I know it's, it's weird things. It's like pickle this and pickle that and kimchi and all sorts of weird things. Just trust us. It works. I know peanut butter on cheaper. It's weird, but it's good. I know Jesus is weird, but just trust him. He's good. I know it's going to be way out of your comfort zone to talk to this person, talk to that person, to obey, to do these things, but engage the process because it's so good. Be willing to have those conversations. Be willing to speak when you feel it and sense it's God speaking to you. Speaking to you. I'll just tell you, I miss those opportunities. And I don't know what God's doing. And I don't know what he could have done. I'll give you, give you an example. There was a girl in the, at the hot springs who were in the sauna. There were like maybe 10 people in there, but the Lord was centering me on this one girl. And it felt like God was, tell, was telling me, hey, you need to go over there and tell her that she is perfect just the way that she is. I didn't. And I haven't seen her since. I don't know saying, hey, she's on the brink of suicide. Mm-hmm. Her whole body image. And that could have been the word that could have saved her life. I hope and pray that I'll see her again. These moments that God can use us. We're so good at missing them. Can we say yes to be weird? Being weird is good because it brings God's hope. It brings God's joy. It brings God's flourishing. His heart to people that we would never think about or think the opposite about. Because here's the thing. God can save anyone through the gospel. No one is too far gone. No one is too far this way or that. No one is too bad or ugly. No one is beyond hope. No one has been hurt too much. That God can't transform their lives. God can save anyone through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so as we wrap up this morning, I want us to ask that question. How can I be good? How can I be a good in my area? How can I be the everyday, ordinary follower of Jesus Christ that God can and is able to use for his glory, for his beautiful purposes, for his joy, and for the flourishing of others? your heart for me? What is your call for me? Who are these people I can share your goodness with? Who do you want me to share the gospel with? Who do you want me to love? And teach me to love them. And Lord, let them respond to, to your love. Amen.
Because it, it, it takes an act of God? It takes an act of God. <laughs> Love is an act of God. It is the fruit of the Spirit. Jesus, we thank you for your gospel that can save anyone. That you seek and you save the lost. That's why you came. And Lord, you've given us that banner. You've given us that calling ourselves to go and to seek and to save the lost. To love and build up your church and to enjoy your presence in our lives. So Lord, teach us how to love you. Teach us, Lord, how to love others. Teach us your love for us. And remind us that you will never leave us nor forsake us. Empower us for your mission and for your glory. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.